Welcome to the Join My League Football Podcast with your host, Tim Collector. Good afternoon, ladies and gents. Welcome to the Join My League Football Podcast. And just by listening today, you have officially joined my league. Congrats to you. What a great day I had. Uh, it's going to be. I had a great Monday. I'm flying home this weekend to visit family and friends, and I have my girlfriend's fantasy football draft tonight. Well, she has her draft, I should say. I'm just there for support. Support, definitely in air quotes, because that's BS. I'm going to have to do everything, and I know it, but this is her attempt at getting into and understanding the sport, and she does it for me, and that makes me happy. I really appreciate it, and I'm looking forward to it. So that's my week in a nutshell, a great week ahead. Maybe not as great of a week as Odell Beckham Jr.'s had, but we'll get into that a little bit later on. I'm not going to waste any time today because just over a week away is the start of the NFL regular season. So today's episode is going to feature some more fantasy football talk, more that I've done the past three episodes, and uh, a couple of quick disclaimers. The first, whoever I take in fantasy football, I'm not going to share with you, because if I do, you better steer clear of those guys. My guys just get hurt. So I'm not going to take fun away from anybody by telling you who I draft, because they're all going to get hurt. And that's going to bother my girlfriend. It's going to make her mad, but that's just the way it is. Second disclaimer, most of the time when I speak about fantasy football, it's regarding PPR leagues, unless I say otherwise. I've play, always played standard PPR leagues. I have as long as I, for as long as I can remember. So every time I do research, I do so for PPR leagues. And if you're new to fantasy football, maybe not familiar with what a PPR league is, Hit the stop button. Do not listen to this podcast because you're stupid. You don't belong in my league. And get out. Just kidding. PPR league. Um, it, it stands for points per reception. Uh, so anytime your player catches a pass, that's automatic points. Point value depending on league settings. And a catch is usually worth a point or a half a point. If you're not sure if you're in a PPR league, go to your league settings, look at the scoring system, and look to see if there's a point value next to the point per reception category. If there's anything other than a zero there, you are in a PPR league. Makes your draft strategy a little different than a standard non-PPR league. That's the reason for the disclaimer. Now, people who have last-minute drafts this week or weekend which is typically what I prefer. This one's for you. I think a lot of people rush into the fantasy season just to get football in their lives. They just want it back. They start the league too soon. They draft too soon. And before the season even begins, your team is ruined due to preseason and camp injuries. And dealing with injuries over the course of a full fantasy football year is stressful enough. That's ruined seasons for me multiple times, as I already mentioned. I think the closer you get your draft to kickoff of the regular season, the better, period. No exceptions. Your first and second round picks, as we all know, are crucial to success. If you bust on those, your season will be over before it begins. So that's the first thing I'm going to get into. If you have the number one overall pick, who should you take? I think the easy answer is Le'Veon Bell, but you really can't go wrong taking Todd Gurley, David Johnson, or Ezekiel Elliott. I favor Bell in PPR leagues simply because of his catch volume and offensive quality that surrounds him. In Arizona, taking David Johnson scares me a little bit. I know the workload's there, he's a workhorse, but this will be his weakest offense since taking over in 2015. And although Sam Bradford... 
he could turn into a nice surprise if he stays healthy, but who can bet on Sam Bradford staying healthy? Uh, but as I said, he's an animal, he's a workhorse, so expect 300 carries and at least 50 caught passes this season uh, for David Johnson. Todd Gurley, he had a great rookie season. He went through a typical sophomore slump the next year, and he returned last year uh, to being one of the top running backs in the league after exploding for 1,300 yards on 279 carries and 13 touchdowns. So that's those are fantastic numbers. And then you can add six touchdowns, six catching touchdowns, Uh, On top of that, to go with 64 additional catches, 788 yards, he's definitely helped people win season titles last year. He's also on an offense that has plenty of firepower. Uh, The kind of offensive firepower we haven't seen from the Rams since the greatest show on turf in the late 90s. And as far as Ezekiel Elliott goes, he doesn't have the greatest talent surrounding him in the passing game either. Uh, But Ezekiel Elliott is as sure of a thing as they come. He's the centerpiece of the Cowboys offense. And like Johnson, he's a workhorse. On top of that, he runs behind arguably the best offensive line in football. That absolutely increases his values. So I would rank the four in order. Bell if you have the first pick. Gurley if you have the second. Then Zeke followed by David Johnson. Uh, but again, if you have, if you get a top four pick and you really like one of those guys, you'll be happy with any one of those four. And if you have the fifth pick, you're in luck because wide receiver Antonio Brown falls right in your lap. It's after that that things get a little difficult, but they really don't have to be because you're still going to have a crop of top tier players to choose from. My advice, just get yourself a running back. Leonard Fournette, Saquon Barkley, Alvin Kamara, Kareem Hunt, Dalvin Cook, uh, Devontae Freeman, Melvin Gordon, as far as ADP, that's average draft position. Some of those guys go in the mid to late teens to early 20s, but running backs are so key to championships, I don't mind reaching if it'll solidify my running back spot. Missing out on Mike Evans, Julio Jones, or Odell Beckham, that stinks, but there's always so much value in the middle rounds with receivers, and as we go through the seasons, receivers seem to explode out of nowhere, and you got one on your waiver wire, you can just pick him up and insert him to your, into your starting lineup, and you'll be good to go at receiver. I'm willing to pass on Evans, Jones, Odell. I'm willing to pass on those guys just to stack my running back position as much as possible because everybody knows that running back is the most inconsistent uh, position when it comes to fantasy football. You can't really rely on anybody. Injuries take their toll. So I always recommend taking a running back with your first two pick. And after that, in the third round, you can go running back again, wide receiver, depending on who's available. At this point, it's all about how you want to construct your team. There's going to be some talented receivers out there available in the third round. But again, my strategy, if I can get another running back I like, I will take him. And within the first three rounds, my running backs are set. And I'm still going to take other running backs later in the draft for depth. But as I said, for the most part, after three rounds, the running back position is set. I got my two starters and uh, my bye week slash injury filler sitting on my bench. Or maybe I'll insert him into the flex spot. I understand it doesn't always work out that way, but that's typically my strategy heading into draft day. And sometimes things don't go your way and you have to abort your strategy, and that's okay. Abort your strategy if you have to, if a guy's not there that you like. Don't just take a guy you have zero confidence in just because of your strategy. For instance, I'm not very high on 49ers running back Jarek McKinnon this year. He's currently being taken uh, in the early third as a running back number two. 
If he's the only uh, back who's available at that point, I will abort abort my strategy and grab a receiver or even a top-tier tight end. Uh, McKinnon was never the feature back in Minnesota, even though he did finish as a running back two last year. He's an athletic freak, but I do worry a little bit about the workload being too much. And there's little competition behind him on the depth chart. Kyle Shanahan seems to have all the confidence in the world in him. But that confidence, the Vikings didn't seem to have that in him because when they let Adrian Peterson walk, instead of giving the keys to McKinnon, they signed free agent Latavius Murray and then proceeded to draft Dalvin Cook in the second round. Uh, Jarek McKinnon has never had more than 160 carries in a season. He averaged 3.8 yards per carry last year, 3.4 the year before, and when the touchdowns they never really came for him. He, he was never a real big touchdown guy. But where he does have value is in the passing game. I think he can catch 60 balls this year, so I wouldn't exactly call him a bust since he is worth a pickup, but I just don't trust him being a running back one or two at this point. Now, speaking of busts, uh, this list is, they're not players that I think will have a bad year necessarily. They're players who, at their current ADP, are not worth the price tag. There's going to be one per position, and who better to start with than Carson Wentz? And before I get dumped on, just let me explain. We're about a week away from the Eagles taking on the Falcons to kick off the NFL regular season. Carson Wentz has not even been cleared for contact yet. No one has any idea when he will come back. The Eagles do seem confident that he'll play when he's ready to play, but when is that going to be? It doesn't look like it'll be week one. In fact, I know for a fact, and they haven't announced it yet, but I know for an absolute 100% fact, he's not going to be ready week one. So week two, week five, week 10, he's currently the sixth ranked quarterback and is being taken as high as the fourth quarterback off the board. Why? Why is that? Why is anybody taking him ahead of Drew Brees? Even if he was healthy, I wouldn't take him ahead of Drew Brees. Are you kidding me? On top of that, his number one and number two receivers are banged up right now. I have confidence that at some point, Wentz will be back on the field producing at least close to the way he produced last season, but I'm going to need to see it first. I would draft him to sit on my bench until he proves that him and his knee are as good as they were last year, but by the time I'm ready to draft him, somebody will have already taken him and... I'll miss out on that. So at his ADP, he's an absolute bust. There's no way he lives up to that high of a draft pick. New Orleans Saints running back, Mark Ingram. He's somebody I might fade in my draft completely this year, even though he's coming off the best statistical season of his NFL career. But three things lead me to believe he'll be a letdown if you decide to draft him at his current average draft position, which is in the fourth round. I think that's uh, 43rd overall, I think. Number one, he's already missing the first four games of the regular season after violating the NFL's PED policy. You can spin it any way you want to, look at it however you want, but that's four games. That's a quarter of the season. That's an entire month. You'll have to stash him on your bench and zero production out of it. The emergence of Alvin Kamara is reason number two. Alvin exploded out of the gate last year as a rookie, taken in the third round of the NFL draft. Sean Payton loves the running back by committee style, and with Ingram missing four very winnable games to start the season, if Kamara hits the ground running during Ingram's suspension, Ingram's workload may begin to diminish. And reason number three, age 29 and a guy named Boston Scott. So it's more of a 3A, 3B kind of thing, but we all know the cursed age for running backs is 30 and Ingram's got a little more tread on his tires than most 29-year-old running backs uh, due to the low volume of work he received earlier in his career. 
but he's in the last year of his current deal, and by the time his deal's up, he will be 30. So we don't even know if he's in the Saints' future plans. They might be planning for life after Ingram. That leads me to 3B, a kid named Boston Scott in New Orleans. He's in the New Orleans uh, running back crew, taken in the sixth round of the draft this year. He's a rookie, but they say he has tremendous ceiling, and he's a hometown kid from Baton Rouge, Louisiana. If he can back up Kamara and impress during Ingram's suspension, that may be another reason we see his workload uh, decreased. So 43rd overall, not worth the price tag. Get him later if you can, because he's still a good back, and he will get his snaps when he comes back from his suspension. But at 43rd overall, I don't, I don't trust that at all. It's, uh, it's, it's a bad pickup. Don't do it. A wide receiver to watch out for, keep your eye on, maybe fade altogether again, is Cleveland Brown wide receiver Josh Gordon. The Browns recently activated him. Josh Gordon, he's been cleared to rejoin practice although he's currently dealing with a tweaked hamstring. But the Browns finally have a capable, uh, not great, but capable quarterback in Tyrod Taylor who can get Gordon the ball with regularity. But the Browns have had a busy offseason. They've added Carlos Hyde, Nick Chubb in the draft, uh, Jarvis Landry. He's got uh, David Njoku entering his second season. He figures to have a larger role in the offense. Then there's Corey Coleman. Coleman showed what he could do last season, and he's got tremendous potential should he stay healthy. Josh Gordon is currently being drafted as a low-tier wide receiver number one. And between all the talent in Cleveland looking to get their share of work, I don't see Gordon getting enough looks to warrant his ADP. He's played in a total, and I haven't even talked about this yet, but he's played in a total of 10 games the last four years. So expecting Gordon to come out the gate and put up numbers similar to what he did in 2013, it's unlikely and an unrealistic thing to hope for. Speaking of realistic... And I quote, he caught 10 touchdowns with Russell Wilson. Imagine what he'll do with Aaron Rodgers. And quote, that's something I keep hearing that isn't as realistic as it sounds. There's no doubt about it that injuries have caught up with Jimmy Graham, and there's no way he produces the same way in Green Bay like he did in New Orleans when he was the best tight end in football. 10 touchdowns is great and definitely gives Packer fans something to get excited about. And if you draft him, it gives you something to be excited about. But what else are you going to get if you think about it? Is he going to catch seven balls a game and top 100 yards every week? Absolutely not. And that's not a knock on Jimmy Graham or the Packers, but you've got to remain realistic. And that's understanding that Jimmy Graham is older and he's touchdown dependent. So if he doesn't get you a touchdown every game, you're not looking at a top receiving line for him. He's not going to get you all the numbers. He gets you touchdowns, fine, but he's not going to get you numbers. He's dependent on touchdowns. And Aaron Rodgers, he can make any receiver look good. So as long as there's other bodies around on the field that can take away from Jimmy Graham's target share, he won't get as many looks as he did in Seattle. And even if he does, he's going to get hurt. He's got a lot of upside if you look at it from a touchdown point of view. But if that's the case, you can go ahead and grab uh, Kyle Rudolph from the Minnesota Vikings, who's being drafted three rounds later than Graham is. Again, I would and quite possibly could end up drafting any of these guys. They're not complete fades, but I want you to take a look at their current ADP and tell me these players aren't being overvalued. Overvaluing a player in fantasy football is a good way to end up last place in the standings, and you might have to do something really embarrassing to close out the fantasy season. Like, say, having to wear a dress and hold a sign at a busy intersection that says, I suck at fantasy football or getting a tattoo that was agreed upon uh, 
by the rest of the league that's going to remind you for the rest of your life that not only do you have lousy friends, but your fantasy football skills are lousy also. The second one, the tattoo one, that's a very a very real stipulation that I've had to not do, but it was a part of a league I had been in for a long time. Luckily, I was never uh, in last place in those in that league. I didn't have to get a tattoo or, or wear a dress, but I did come close at one point to getting the tattoo. Thankfully, I didn't finish in last place. But I would like to know what your fantasy football traditions are. What happens to the guy who winds up in last place in your league? Are there any cool stories? Do you have any loser traditions? I'd like to hear about them, any of that stuff. So drop me a line at Join My League on Facebook and Twitter and Join My League Podcast on Instagram. Subscribe on YouTube, leave a comment, review, all that good stuff. Now, sleepers. I have a big problem with sleepers. And my problem with sleepers is I want them all on my team. I have a tendency to load up on depth with sleepers and just have half of my team sleepers because I want them all to bust out at once. And I want to be that guy who knew about so-and-so before anybody else does. It's an ineffective strategy. It does not work, and I do not recommend it. But sleepers overall are a good thing. There are some real hidden gems you can get in the draft that can lead you to a championship. Last week, I mentioned Chargers quarterback Phillip Rivers. Unfortunately, I had to do that, even though I shouldn't have. And um, Lions rookie running back Carryon Johnson as sleepers. Continuing with the one-per-position style of segment at wide receiver, Cameron Meredith. That's somebody I have registering a fantastic season. Coming off an ACL and MCL injury, that's always a little concerning. But should Meredith be able to perform at the level he was performing at pre-injury, he should flourish in New Orleans' offensive system. Two years ago, Cameron Meredith posted just about 13 fantasy points per game as a member of the Chicago Bears. Then he tore his knee up, missed the entire season last year. Now in New Orleans, not only does he have future Hall of Famer Drew Brees throwing him footballs, and not only does he get to work with one of the best young wide receivers in the league in Michael Thomas, he also gets to benefit from the coaching of one of the best offensive minds over the last 10 years in Sean Payton. Coach Payton is known for getting the most out of his receivers, and with an ADP of 135, that means he's being taken on average, pick 135 super late in the draft, at that position, he's poised to obliterate that number. He could be a high-end wide, high wide receiver, too, or better. Tight end George Kittle. He's being drafted in the 14th round and has typically been the 19th tight end taken in fantasy's draft. He's got a ton of potential, a great athlete, and in my opinion, he will be a top 10 tight end by the time your league's playoffs start. With Jimmy Garoppolo, now the 49ers quarterback savior, he's going to need someone to develop chemistry with. Now, I speak from experience because I had Marquise Goodwin. Garoppolo did a good job connecting with him late last year and through camp, but he's going to need another option. And who better than Kittle? Like I said, he's got a ton of potential. He'll be available toward the end of the draft, and if you need to stash him, stash him, because his value will only increase as the season progresses. And to finish up, I'd like to talk about scheduling. It's another uh, strategy I'm going to throw at you before you do your draft. Drafting guys based on talent alone isn't always good enough. Towards the middle and later rounds of the draft, looking for guys with favorable schedules toward the end of the year has been a a proven effective strategy. You're going to want to keep that in mind throughout the season as well. So when it comes to drafting players from New England, Indianapolis, Dallas, Should your team make the playoffs, you may see some increased production from guys like Chris Hogan, 
uh, Michael Gallup, Marlon Mack, or Jack Doyle from the Colts. However, if you draft guys from team like the Rams or Dolphins, you'll notice those teams have they have an un, more of an unfavorable end to the season. It might make winning your championship a little bit harder. So just something to think about. We know a lot of things can change over the course of a season. Teams we expect to be great, they come out flat. And teams we don't have much expectation for, they come out swinging and wind up a playoff bound. So the schedule thing isn't be-all, end-all, but it is something worth studying prior to your draft because it does help, I noticed. Time for some quick hits, a little bit of noteworthy headlines around the league. Starting with Jaguars wide receiver Marquise Lee. He was placed on IR recently, that's injured reserve. Outspoken teammate of Lee, Jalen Ramsey, he said that Lee's knee is... Uh, is unfortunate and he blames the NFL's new helmet rule as the reason the Jags top wideout will miss the entire year. Ramsey was quoted as saying, you have to be mad at the NFL. Not mad at them, but that is how the rule is. People are scared to tackle normal because I guess they don't want to do a helmet to helmet and get flagged. I mean, he's not wrong, but the NFL insists on keeping the new rule as is, and I don't believe this will be the first or last controversial result of it. Dante Moncrief and Keelan Cole will see increased work without Lee, although the Jags may look to add another wideout through free agency or trade. Andrew Luck is dealing with a minor foot injury. However, he should be ready to start opening day when the Colts host the Bengals in Week 1. Andrew Luck missed the entire season last year after a slow recovery from off-season shoulder surgery. Anytime you see Andrew Luck and the word injury in the same sentence, Colts fans feel a sense of panic, but fear not. Luck insists he'll be good to go by week one. And probably the biggest story of the week so far is the contract Odell Beckham Jr. signed worth $95 million over five years and a guarantee of $65 million. If you haven't seen the dancing video that took place in the locker room of the Giants, go out of your way and check out Sterling Shepard's story. It's a trip, man. Odell and his teammates dancing and celebrating the locker room, and it's a lot of fun. It's, it's funny to see. I was, I was chuckling a little bit. Uh, it's definitely worth a watch. Now, ESPN's Adam Schefter reported that Odell's absence from OTAs in May was directly related to wanting a new contract. Now that the contract is done, it's time for the 25-year-old Beckham to step up, focus on football, and help the Giants win some games. And lastly, not much news uh, has been reported when it comes to the seemingly inevitable trade for Khalil Mack. However, reports surfaced a couple of days ago that four teams are seriously interested in Mack's services. Team names were not released, but I would bet the Jets and Packers are among the four seriously interested. Definitely will have my eye on that story over the next week or so. Alright guys, I've decided on throwing in the towel in regards to a new episode next week. Uh, I'll be out of town and I just, I just don't think it's possible. So before I close out today, I know we're over a week away, but I do want to preview and pick some important week one games. And I'm going to start with the Eagles hosting the Falcons in the NFL's annual kickoff game next Thursday. It's a yearly tradition. It sees the defending Super Bowl champions host the first game of the year, the Thursday before the first football Sunday of the year. The spread as of right now between the Eagles and Falcons, we're still a week out. So if you're feeling confident, lock it in now before it changes. But as of this recording, the spread stands at plus three for Atlanta. I have no problem putting a little money down on the Falcons if you wanted to do that. If you wanted to take them covering the spread, they're a very, very good football team that will improve their record from last year. And if not for a dropped interception and a nightmarish end zone drop by Julio Jones for a touchdown, the Falcons would have put an end to the Eagles' Super Bowl run before it even began. 
And if the spread closes any, I'd fade this one completely, but taking the Falcons plus three is not a bad bet. As for the money line, it's the Eagles minus 180 and the Falcons plus 158. I have to go with the Eagles straight up. I think they're the defending champs, and defending champs are 11-3 in home openers. And to me, that stat matters. Home field advantage should always be taken into consideration, but even more so on opening night. Bright lights. Players are going to be pumped. It's going to be loud. The Eagle fan base will be pumped, and they're going to be bullies as usual. Probably put a poor Falcon fan in the hospital in the process. So play it safe. Take the Eagles straight up. And then we got the Chargers hosting the Chiefs on September 9th at 4.05 p.m. Eastern Time. Uh, the Chargers are currently minus three. This is the safest bet I could share with you. It's a no-brainer, you ask me. I expect the Chargers defense, stacked Chargers defense, should make Patrick Holmes' life miserable in week one. That's not a knock on Mahomes. I expect big things from that kid, not just in general, but this year I'm expecting big things from him, but just not in this game. Take the Chargers minus three and straight up and cash in. It's easy money. First Sunday night game of the year is going to pit the Bears headed to Green Bay to take on the Packers and Aaron Rodgers is back. That's really all you need to know about this game. The Bears are plus nine underdogs and have a quietly good defense. So if this were any other regular season game, I may take the Bears with the points. But honestly, with the return of Rodgers on Sunday night, week one, I wouldn't put any money on Trubisky and Lambeau. Fade this one completely unless you were to take the Packers straight up and make a parlay out of it first game of Monday Night Football, we're going to see the Jets travel to Detroit to take on the Lions. Minus seven for the home team is currently the spread, and I think that's just low enough to take the Lions. That's a lot of points to cover, but the Lions defense should be improved under new head coach Matt Patricia, and all signs are pointing to rookie quarterback Sam Darnold getting the start for the Jets. A rookie quarterback starting his first game on the road in front of a national audience. I'm not doing it, man. Give me the give me the home team every time in that scenario. Lions, uh, Lions minus seven. Lions straight up and take that to the bank. And that's going to do it for this week's episode of Join My League. I will be making at least five picks per week. I'm going to make one more pick and I'm going to make that available on social media because I know I only did four today, uh, but I don't. I want to save at least one for next week, uh, even though there won't be a, an episode. I'll post on social media that fifth pick and I will put all five of these teams together. And then every week following, I will have five picks for you. And again, we're going to keep track of how well I do and what my record is. So like on Facebook, follow on Twitter and the IG. Subscribe on YouTube, comment, reviews are appreciated, and you can let me know how your picks stack up against mine every week. Also, remember, no episode next week. I will return September 12th. It's already starting to shape up to be quite the show. Looking at week one review, uh, week two picks and preview, and a new fantasy football segment you're not going to want to miss. All that and more on the next episode of Join My League, JML, September 12th. I'll see you then, and have a good week, everybody.